Man, it's so great to, uh, to be here with you guys today. I, it was almost exactly five years ago today that I walked out onto the stage for the very first time. I was all kinds of nervous, um, and I was incredibly excited. Um, and it was just a few weeks after that that I was offered what was my dream job at the time to come and to be a part of the staff here at City Church Bandera Road as one of the worship leaders. Now, the last five years uh, have been crazy. They've been exciting. I've seen a lot of change uh, just in my roles and you guys have kind of gone with me on this wild journey. Now, um, many of you may have heard last week or seen on social media uh, that this is actually my last week here at City Church Bandera Road. I've been asked to go out to our City Church West campus and to be the pastor out there. And yeah, I'm very excited. So to be honest, five years later, I feel incredibly uh, emotionally torn uh, because I'm so excited to go out West and to see what God has for myself and for my family out there. But I'm gonna miss y'all too. Um, so it, it really is hard for me to put into words uh, how much you guys have meant to me, how much you've meant to my family uh, in my life. And you know, just part of my personality is I'm, I'm a, a forward looker. Like I live in the future. I forget what month it is all the time, but something happens anytime I have these significant changes in like the seasons of my life. And I start really reflecting back on kind of the journey up to that moment. It was interesting in August, every August, our staff goes to the Global Leadership Summit, which is this incredible collection of some of the greatest minds uh, in leadership development really out in the world today. And it always starts the same way. It starts with Pastor Bill Hybels of Willow Creek Community Church. He always kicks the summit off. It is always epic. And this year at the summit, he told the story of the first time that he realized he just might be a leader. And so he, he told a story about being in elementary school. And this was kind of back in the day when you had drop top desks. Anybody, you know, do some work on a drop top. If you did, you know that the desk part is very heavy. Like if you get your fingers between the bottom and the desk, you're going to be in serious trouble. Uh, and you know that if you drop the drop top desk, it can also be incredibly loud. And so one day as a young child, as the math teacher was droning on and on at, at the chalkboard with her back to the class, he had this idea of something that would just be epic. He figured that if he could get all 30 students in the room to lift their desk and drop it at the same time, that something cool had to happen. And so he began to use all the tools of influence that he had. He, he knew to start with, you know, kind of the troublemakers, right? And they were instantly in. And over about the next 10 minutes, he pleaded and he persuaded every single kid in the classroom, even the straight A goody goodies to join in with him. And when the time was right, they all lifted their desk and Bill gave the signal, three, two, one. And they all dropped at the same time, creating this incredible sound, scaring their teacher to death. They all busted out laughing at the same time. But here's what Bill did not anticipate. When the teacher turned around and said, who is responsible for this? 29 fingers in the room all pointed at Bill Hybels. They, they sold him out instantly. There was no question. 
Now he was obviously punished for this and part of his punishment was to stay in while everyone else went out to recess, basically prison for children. But he said he'll never forget sitting in there and as mad as his teacher was, she pulled him aside and she said, listen, only an incredible leader could have pulled that off. I think you might be an incredible leader and you're gonna have to decide whether you use your influence and you use your, inf your, your uh, leadership and your influence for good or whether you're gonna use it for bad. And that moment stuck with him decades after that event. And so Bill challenged us to think through our own lives of people who have spoken in to our paths towards whatever the purpose is in our lives. And so right there at the summit, I began to just make a list of important people. And I'm not, I'm not gonna like read this like an award show moment or anything, but I mean, you know, people like my parents and my grandparents, uh, coaches that I had who gave me leadership opportunities and held me to a high standard, people that I worked with early in my ministry, some of my closest friends who continue to keep me honest and, and to push me forward for what God has in my life. There are countless people that just started coming to my mind that I was writing and journaling about who have helped me to this place where I am right now in this moment. And if you took some time to think about it, there would be some of those people in your own life and maybe it's grandparents who helped to raise you or maybe it was your parents or friends or maybe you had a teacher who went out on a limb and really spoke into your life or made you feel special or someone who saw something that you were good at that you really didn't even know was a strength of yours but you've built off of it for the rest of your life. There are countless people like this who come into our lives and here's why it matters because for the last several weeks, Brent has been talking to us about how to thrive, how to live an abundant life, how to really pursue our purpose and how to reach our potential. But what this demonstrates to us is that thriving does not happen in a vacuum. For us to really live an abundant life, the life that Jesus has called us to, it has to happen with people around us. We simply don't reach our potential by ourselves. We survive together and we thrive together. And so if that's true, if people around us really have that much effect on our lives, then it has serious implications for our futures. It means that if you don't have anyone around you who shares your same sense of morals or your same goals, who doesn't have the same sense of purpose or worldview that you have, that instead of pushing you towards your potential, that the people around you could actually impede your progress. And we've all experienced this at one point or another when you're dating someone who constantly brings you down or when you're surrounded with friends who don't have any ambition. And so anything you try to step out and do, you get ridiculed because of their own insecurities. When you're around coworkers who are anti-religious and it feels like it stunts your spiritual growth, when your mom or your dad or your grandparents think that you should be living your life a different way and so they put incredible amounts of pressure on you to change the way that you're living. All of these things can make it almost impossible to really go out and find your purpose. So to understand this abundant life, to really thrive, we have to understand how to come around with a group of people who are pushing us on 
towards our potential. If not, instead of thriving, we'll just become jealous and bitter of the people around us that we compare ourselves to, or we'll become anxious or depressed, or we'll just merely go through the rest of our lives like zombies feeding on whatever the culture puts in front of us, settling, settling for the status quo, settling for whatever bad situation we find ourselves in in our life. And here's the deal, you were created for something better than that. I want more for you than that. And more importantly, God desires more for your life than that. And so how do we do this? How do we change to where we can fully live? How do we kind of recalibrate our lives from merely surviving to coming alongside a group of people and truly thriving? Well, part of this answer lies in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount that we've been digging into for the last several weeks. So some historical context of the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most famous sermon ever given by Jesus. Uh, where he was at that time in the first century, many of his followers, his very first followers, were living in these prosperous Roman-ruled cities. So Rome had come in and they had taken over an entire group of people. The Jewish people who were in the audience that day listening to Jesus were being oppressed. And this created a situation where the elite in society were living it up all the way. Some of them truly believed that they were actually gods. And so they continued to gain more possessions and more pleasure, all the while finding ways to dominate over others. Now the Jewish people were under severe oppression and they were suffering. And so many of Jesus's first followers, uh, their quality of life continued to decline. Many of them found themselves disease ridden or they suffered disabilities. Many of them were uneducated. And so in this society where they're already the marginalized and they're already the minority and they're under oppression, they were made to feel worthless. They were made to feel like their lives weren't worth anything. Like they were at the very bottom of the pecking order. They were the last rung on the ladder of society. But of course, they at some level wanted what we all want. They all wanted to thrive. And so one day Jesus sat on the side of a hill and he challenged this group of misfits to rethink about their lives, not to simply give in to what the rest of society said about them. And so Jesus started by saying, you are the salt of the earth. Now, 2,000 years later, uh, this doesn't sound like much of a compliment to us. You are the salt. Next time you're really in trouble with your spouse, this isn't the greeting card that you want to lead with. You, you are the saltiest. That's not going to work. But 2,000 years ago, what we don't realize is that salt took on a much different meaning. And about a year ago, my good friend Lee Wong taught me a lot about this particular passage in the Bible. Lee taught me that salt was actually the cornerstone of the world economy at that time. It was a symbol of wealth. The Roman soldiers, and remember, the Romans were the ones who were in power. The Roman soldiers took their pay in salt money called a salarium. This is where we get the term for salary. Salt was actually a sign of wealth. It was also used as a, a cleansing scrub, an antiseptic on wounds, a remedy for toothaches and mouthwash. The purest salt was sought out by religious leaders because it was a part of their ritual for cleaning sacrifices. 
It was especially critical for maintaining body fluids in the sweltering Middle Eastern heat. Salt was used for food, money, medicine, purification. Salt was, and it still is today, indispensable to our lives. And so when Jesus told this group of misfits, this group of marginalized nobodies, that you are the salt of the earth, he was saying that you have incredible worth, that you are the epitome of value, that you're indispensable. Not only are you made to thrive, but you're the essential ingredient for the people around you to thrive as well. But Jesus didn't stop there. He continued to say, not only are you the salt of the earth, but you are the light of the world. Now, this we can track with a little bit, right? Like telling someone that they are light in your life, that is still a, you light up my life. Like that's still a thing, right? We, we can still get that. But today, in 2017, light is very accessible. We get light simply by flipping a switch, and back then, it was a much greater process. Light was hard to come by. It, it took oil and a container and a wick, and there was no Zippos. You had to like find fire to get your light going. Now again, something that I learned from Lee is that there are some incredibly important words in these two compliments that Jesus was speaking into the people's lives. And the first is the, our English verb, are. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In the original text of scripture, that little verb that we've translated are is the Greek word este. Now, Este is used to explain the fundamental reason why something exists. And in this case, the way that it's used, it has timeless implications, meaning that light isn't something that you become. Light isn't something that you aspire to. You don't become light when you finally get your act cleaned up. You don't finally get to take the compliment when you lose the weight. You don't become what your purpose to be when you finally get in the relationship with the right person or you finally get the right promotion. No, light is what you are. You were created by God as salt and as light. It's not something to aspire to. It's something that was built into you by the same God who spoke light into existence. Of course, the light of the world created us and created us in his own image. So you don't have to go out and become light. Jesus says that you already are. You are light. You're an indispensable agent radiating a grander vision for people's lives. You are light. You are meant to go into the darkness of the world and to show people, to shine a light on people's passions, to shine a light of hope into people who have lost all of their hope, to show people the warmth of God's love. You're salt and you're light. You were created not only to thrive, but to help the people around you thrive to speak up for the people who are marginalized in our society, to come alongside your spouse and love them passionately and unconditionally, to build worth into your children in a society that is constantly bringing them down. You are salt and you are light. You're priceless. You have significant purpose. There's one other word though to really understand what Jesus was saying that we have to look at because he said you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. And there's 
a, a context problem sometimes when we read things like this from the New Testament because we live in a Western society and Jesus was speaking in an Eastern society. And so as Americans in the West, we are an incredibly individualistic society. Incredibly individualistic. It's all about us. We're, we're very narcissistic. And so when we hear you are the light of the world, we think, well, th thanks, Jesus. You know, I'm not, I'm not that bad. I think you're right. And we take it for us. And it's for us to keep and hold on to. And it's for us to pull ourselves up by our bootstrap and to go out and make a difference. And maybe we'll share with some others along the way, but we don't want to give away too much because what if they take what we have and they use it for themselves? We're very individualistic. Well, if you actually look at the context of what Jesus was saying in the group that he was speaking to, this is a pronoun, you is a pronoun, but Jesus was using a plural pronoun. He was saying you communally. If Jesus was Texan, he would have said, y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the, and Jesus is coming back on a horse, so maybe he'll come back as a Texan, we don't know. But he said, y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. And this brings us back to where we started because there's a communal element to what Jesus was teaching on the side of the mountain that day. It's saying that the people you put around yourself matter. The people that you surround yourself with matter. When Jesus taught this, uh, you know, getting salt wasn't like going to H-E-B and grabbing some Morton's salt and putting it in your basket. There was a process. And what would happen a lot of times is salt, as important as it was, like we talked about earlier, as important as it was, it, it would get defiled or diluted. What would happen is people who sold salt to make a little extra money would mix in some extra minerals to try to save some of the salt and spread it out and make an extra buck. And so people would buy the salt and the salt had literally lost some of its saltiness. And back in the day, light was a process and you had to get your container and it took time and you had to fill it out and you had to find fire. And if you wanted to illuminate a large area and you were gonna try to do it by yourself, that was gonna be an investment of time. By the time you got your last candle going, your first one would almost be out. There's a communal aspect to what Jesus is teaching because thriving does not happen in a vacuum. Thriving does not happen apart from other people. It takes a group of like-minded people. I'm not saying we have to be on the same page on all things. I'm not saying that everyone has to be a Democrat or everyone has to be a Republican. I'm not even saying everyone has to be a Spurs fan, but you probably should be. <laughs> what I'm saying is that there is a piece of this that can't happen by yourself. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And when we come together, what happens is we begin to purify each other's salt. We begin to push out and reject all of the external minerals that have made their way in through the rest of society. We begin to become more potent in what we can do out in the world. We begin to illuminate a greater expanse. We begin to bring a brighter light into the darkest parts of our world. You know, I believe at some level, we all want to find our purpose and we all wanna live our potential. And some of you are a little bit stuck because you've settled. Some of you are a little stuck because you've settled. 
And this is easy to do because think about the Jewish audience Jesus was teaching to. An, an entire ruling class had spoken into their lives that they were nobody, that they had no worth, that they had no value, that they were dispensable, that they had no purpose. They weren't salt, they weren't light. They were the dregs of society. And when someone speaks something false and negative into your life, often enough, you can begin to settle. When someone tells you often enough or makes you feel often enough that you really are not lovable, you can begin to live in light of that and actually become unlovable. When someone speaks into your life that you are not smart, that you don't have capacity, that you are not intelligent, eventually you can settle in and make that your truth. And what Jesus is saying is you need to get yourself around a group of people who will begin to purify you from that, who will begin to come together and show you that you truly are the most potent of salt, that light is what you were created to be, that purpose isn't something that you have to go find outside of yourself, it's something that was already created inside of you. The potency of your salt and the brightness of your light, your ability to find your purpose, your ability to live out your potential, will largely be determined by the people that you surround yourself with. And so we wanna thrive. We wanna discover our purpose. But the Christian life isn't about hiding from the brokenness and hiding from the suffering. Please don't mishear what I'm saying to say that we're gonna close the doors of the church and we're gonna come in and protect ourselves. No, that's not what I'm saying. This is about coming together, becoming more potent, becoming brighter so that we can go and permeate our society as agents of redemption, so we can go and permeate our society. Listen, we're not gonna legislate morality. We're not called to a political cause, which is why you never hear anyone on the stage make a political statement. That's not what we are called to. We are called to be salt and light. And no matter what happens outside of ourselves and no matter what happens that we can't take responsibility for, we can be who we were created to be. We can bring light into any situation. We can have value and worth no matter what we face. We're not called to control the secular power structures, but we are called to remain strong in our faith no matter what. And here's the best part when you give your life to this, when you really understand that you are salt and that you are light, and when you join with others in a community to do this together, then all of a sudden your impact spreads exponentially. It isn't just in your interactions. It isn't just in the work that you do for God. It isn't just in you fulfilling your purpose that you get to feel the impact of your actions, but it's with all of the people around you who are coming together and working together to go out and make a difference way beyond what we're capable of on our own. And so I wanna close today letting you know that you have played this role in my life. You know, I started off today by talking about some of the mentors and leaders and coaches and friends and family who have poured into my life, people who have purified my salt and brightened my light. But the person that I left off the list is you. You know, I got married and I started at City Church Bandera Road two weeks later. 
Basically, for as long as I have been married, for as long as I've been a father to, to my sons, I've been here sharing my life and sharing my heart as transparently as I can with all of you. And you've walked with me through my life. You've walked with me learning how to be a husband. You've walked with me as I got real about some of the challenges and the beauty of being a stepfather to my two incredible sons. You've been there through hard times. I remember pulling into the parking lot four years ago and getting the call that my granny Scott had died and coming out an hour later and leading you guys in worship and sharing my heart and the love and the support and how it built me and it continued to purify and make that salt a little more potent and that light a little more brighter. You guys have walked with my family through our adoption, through when things fell apart, through when the country that we were trying to get in closed. You guys walked with us through the miracle of us getting our daughter two weeks later. You've been there every step of the way. And so let me tell you how this works. Let me tell you how us being salt and us being light works. I am leaving. I am gonna go to a different church and talk to a different group of people week in and week out. But because you've been a part of my life and you've come alongside me and we haven't done this in a vacuum and we're not lone rangers, but we're here together and we're purifying each other and we're adding fuel to the fire and we're glowing brighter and brighter. Anything that happens on the West Campus, it means your fingerprints are on it. West Campus, West Campus was birthed from Bandera Road. It was started from this church. And all of the baptisms that have happened and all of the marriages that have been put back together and all of the children who have found some confidence and a sense of self-worth, all of the lives that have been changed here on earth as well as eternally, you get to credit it to your impact as well. And you don't always get to feel it and you don't always understand it, but this is the beauty of the church. I've tried to say it almost every time I'm up here. The church isn't the building and it's not the property and it's not the service that you come to. You are the church. And when the church comes together as a movement of people who are coming together and sharing our hearts and getting real and getting vulnerable and we begin to purify our lives and we begin to grow in our capacity to love people and we begin to grow in the confidence that maybe we really do have a potential we haven't reached yet and maybe we really don't have to settle for what the world is telling us and maybe we really do have an incredible purpose beyond what we can even imagine. When that begins to happen, then it's not just our impact that we see right here in front of us, it's the impact of all the people beside you that gets counted to your credit. So I go out to West Campus not as someone who's leaving y'all, but as someone who is being sent from among y'all. I go out there to take everything I've learned and, and everything I've experienced and all the mistakes that I will hopefully learn from and take it out there for as long as God has me. And I want you to know I want you to leave here today knowing that because you are the salt of the earth and because you are the light of the world, that West Campus, the people, the mission, it is a part of you because I will always be a part of you.
Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that, that we don't have to just settle for the status quo. God, I thank you that Jesus came and gave us permission to reject the lies that the world tries to speak into our lives. That you created us as salt, God. The definition of value, indispensable. God, that you created us with a light inside of us that you no longer want us to hide. God, a light, a burning purpose, an incredible potential. God, I pray that this gathering of people, that this church would not let anything hold them back from shining their light. God, not as individuals, not as vigilantes, God, together as a movement of people, exponentially expanding our impact. God, I pray for City Church, Bandera Road, City Church Downtown, City Church West. God, that you continue to multiply this movement, that you continue to bring in people who are lost and who are skeptical and who have a void of purpose in their life, that you continue to speak into them, that you continue the process of bringing more and more people into your family and into this movement so that we can reach into the darkest corners so that we can bring peace to those who have no peace and hope to those who have no hope, so that we can show people your love and watch as people's lives are changed. God, I thank you for every single person in this room, every single person watching online, all of my fellow staff members. I thank you and I thank you and I thank you for them, for what they've done and what they've meant to me and my life and to my family. And God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. I hope you guys know that I truly do love you. And I hope I'll see you soon.